Hello, and welcome to CapTech Trends, a place where we meet with thought leaders and subject matter experts to discuss emerging technology, design, and project methodology. You may be wondering about the new voice. I'm your guest host today. My name is Dennis Bown. I'm a principal with CapTech Consulting. I founded our Agile practice, and I'm a longtime technology and management consultant. But today, we're discussing trends for 2021, and we're mixing it up and moving Vinny from host to guest. If you've listened to our other podcasts, you'll know Vinny as the CTO of CapTech, and part of his team's responsibility is to forecast trends in technology and innovation. So let's dive in and talk about the trends for 2021. Welcome to your podcast, Vinny. Thank you. It's, it's fun being on this side. Yeah. So 2021 is going to be a much better year. We're all excited about it. But as we talk a little bit about 2020, this was a big year of uncertainty and change. That's not a newsflash for anybody here. We had social unrest, political upheaval, and just massive life-changing interruptions thanks to COVID. Let's not talk any more about that. I think we've had enough. Well, we, had, we, have, a, we have a couple of uh, podcasts out about that. So if people mm-hmm. do want to go listen to that. And I think one of the big takeaways that from, from this year that we can kind of move into our discussion on trends is that the, the organizations that had healthy methodologies and had healthy architectures, and we can get into what that means, um, were well positioned uh, to succeed. Uh, you know, macro um, conditions, you know, aside, right? I mean, if you're in travel and entertainment, obviously there's not much you can do. But for the, com- for, for the bulk of the companies, um, they were able to weather the storm and actually uh, increase or improve uh, their delivery for their customers in many ways because uh, they, were, they were set up to do so. I totally agree. I mean, we've seen that. That's part of our business. We get to work with lots of different organizations and see how they're adapting and help them with that change curve. Um, and in addition to you know, being ready for change and being able to accept that change, I think we also had to all accept that the consumer behavior is changing, right? And I think that's something that is going to continue my guess. And also, I'm feeding this because I read your paper. Um, but um, by the way, by the way, do, do, uh, since you said that, why don't you plug the paper real quick? Hey, a little plug. We won't take too long on it. What we're talking about today is that Vinny has actually published some of these things and we're interviewing him. So the trends for 2021, you can find those on captechconsulting.com slash thinking. It's right there and featured, but there's a fairly in, uh, in-depth discussion of key trends. What, we, what my interpretation, we're going to talk about this more today, is Vinny, you're trying to nail it down to some ubiquitous changes that we expect that'll affect a large portion of the listeners and the different organizations that they work with. It, there is a lot of other changes, but we're trying to nail this down to just something that makes sense for the audience. How would you change what I just described? I, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, we do this every year. You know, a large part of our job is, is to listen to our clients, uh, listen to our own development teams, account managers, business development people, and kind of synthesize all that information uh, against the good engineering discipline and rigor and usability standards that we know, right? Um, what's interesting about this year is uh, previous years were a little more direct and obvious, meaning when mobile was coming out and replacing uh, the desktop as a platform, um, you know, we were ahead of the curve on that. But again, that's a new technology trend. Same thing with smart speakers and machine learning and computer vision and augmented reality. We could make predictions based on those um, and, and valid use cases over the last several years. This year, we're not predicting a new disruptive technology. Um, the way I'm looking at this year 
is that all of those things that were cutting edge are now table stakes. Um, they've been vetted. Uh, people are using them. They have a good surprise and delight factor, a good brand factor. And it's more about a maturity and integration of those technologies. If you're doing voice without machine learning, you know you need to consider adding that in because it gives you so much more effectiveness with it. Uh, and so it's really the integration of the trends and the maturity of the trends and the maturity of the platforms that done well are going to really increase the user experience and the value of the applications and services companies provide. Yeah, I think that should resonate with a lot of people who are in the technology world. We're not seeing major sea changes in the technology that's being launched right now, but what we are seeing is opportunities to adapt and adopt and right. you know move your game to the next level. I think that was something I took from reading. You know, one of the terms that I think you might have used in here, if not, I apologize, but change surfer, right? So that, that's something that I wrote down in my notes of companies need to be able to surf on the change that mm-hmm. is, you know, that we're all experiencing together. But the ones that are going to be successful have certain qualities that they bring to the game. There's certain ways that they roll that is allowing them to be more productive. What are some of the things that you're seeing that are going to allow us to capture this wave? Yeah, and I take a kind of half step back from that. A lot mm-hmm. of um, organizations have a disconnect between you know, reading a white paper, knowing that they have to change quickly, knowing that they should be agile. I don't like the term more agile because that, that is like right. kind of abusing the term, right? But but follow agile more closely or or implement it um, consistently across an organization, right? So you can you can have these ideas about failing fast and being flexible and being nimble, but if you don't have the 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 architecture in place. If you don't have the methodology in place, the DevOps in place, if you're not in the cloud with or private cloud doing instant, you know, instant provisioning, you're asking um, your teams to do things that you're not providing an environment f- for, right? So it's really, really critical when you look at this. The companies that did well in COVID and the companies that will continue to do well now are ones that know that flexibility, agility. Uh, you know, fast delivery of functionality comes from discipline, right? It comes from having a good architecture. It comes from good data uh, governance, good data pipeline. It comes from good uh, methodology. It comes from good DevOps. It comes from good design. And if you don't have that as part of your muscle memory, then that gets into the dysfunction and why teams don't perform well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that in the past, we've talked about the need for these kinds of changes and innovations in your organization because they're going to help you go faster and get more product that's more innovative in the hands of your customers. But this is really highlighted for me that at core, this lets you pivot. You can mm-hmm. pivot and you can capitalize when changes like this are coming down the pipe. You can move quickly enough to get ahead of it. Uh, so. I, I think that that's fairly self-explanatory now looking in the rearview mirror, we see that with so many of the folks we work with. For sure. So there's no going back. The change we've experienced is locked in and it's gonna continue to sail forward. But what we can talk about is how we use this moment to continue to accelerate. And there's four big trends that you called out uh, in the the 2021 trends paper. Um, I'd like to hit each one of those and give people a flavor of what we're expecting in the space. Sure. The first one being more complete data, will lead to leaps in actual insights. Unpack that for us. Sure. Um, you know, every, everyone knows the five Vs of data, right? Variety, mm-hmm. velocity, veracity, and value. 
Um, was that four or five? Um, anyway, uh, Google it, five Vs of data. Uh, but <laughs> they're all important. Um, but what is happening now with IoT, and this is not just you know devices in manufacturing or things like that. I'm talking wearable technology as well, home automation technology, uh, tons and tons of I- smart devices, IoT devices. In a world now where 5G is available, so we can we can push more to the edge, we can capture more at the edge, we can do more machine learning at the edge. So the the amount of data we're collecting, the accuracy of the data we're collecting, right? Uh, the 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 amount of trust we can put into the data we're collecting is all going up at the same time. So much 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 more data coming in to organizations. Um, what that means is you can apply um, machine learning models and AI against those data sets in ways that give you uh, much better uh, accuracy in, in the predictions and the results. So what's frustrating is when you see the data increase and you know all the five E's increase, and yet the value to the customer, the, the, the machine learning and AI does not. You know, I think one example that kind of resonates with most people is you you buy something. Like, let's say you buy a pair of running shoes. And then for the next, you know, four weeks, Facebook and everything else is pummeling you with with ads to buy running shoes, something you've already done, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it, it's like a it's a, it's frustrating that we don't have, that we have all the data that we need. And these platforms know a ton about us. I mean, they really, really do. Um, and yet they don't, benefit us in a way uh, that's more subtle and more valuable. It's it's a kind of a, a blunt weapon they hit you over the head with, and they're often wrong, and it, be, and it leads to frustration, not not increased satisfaction. Right. When it's done well, it's a helper, mm-hmm. and it's making your experience as a consumer better. But when that example that you give, we've all lived through that of, mm-hmm. thank you very much, I've got my running shoes. Right. Um, and then you're going to hear about it for the next three months. But it's the you know when you look at the four V's, variety, velocity, veracity, and value. Mm-hmm. Veracity for me that's the one that jumps out. That we need to know that yeah I know these things about my customer and I can connect them in such a way that I actually have a true picture of what it is they they want. And it sounds like what as I read through kind of your statements here and you know use some of my own knowledge of what I'm seeing in the industry that that's the piece that's been missing of being able to really have veracity in the data that you're looking at and your picture of the customer that you form because of it. Actually, there are five. Volume was the fifth one. It just came to me. Um, See, there you go. I had to think about it. No, you're right with the, with the veracity. Um, you have to trust the data. And that actually plays into a trend we didn't talk about in the paper, but we'll be talking about throughout the year. And that's you know compliance and regulations as, as it relates to data. So um, knowing what you have and knowing that it's accurate um, is kind of a, a core value, should be a core value for organizations that are relying on, on making decisions based on that data, as well as complying with you know, new privacy uh, regulations. Right. And as we expand this data footprint, so yes, more volume, but also you know, more truth in that data. Mm-hmm. As we look across industry, what are some of the examples you see? One of the ones I think about a lot is is healthcare and wearables. Um, mm-hmm. The amount of data that you can, that your body is throwing off all the time in, in subtle motions um, can be used to make a lot of predictions about your 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 health and well being. Uh, for instance, 
there's technology I've read about that can uh, measure the gait and, and movement of an elderly person walking, uh, how many stairs they're going up and down, the rate they're doing it, the way their body leans, et cetera. And there's, you know, sometimes um, someone who's elderly can fall and break a hip. Sometimes their hip breaks and they fall, mm-hmm. right? So um, what this information can tell you using that, that machine learning information is, you know, a week before you're going to fall and break your hip or break your hip and fall, the smart device is capturing all this information and saying you're changing your behaviors in a way that's consistent with people who in the future will have this condition or this fall. So you can go in and start getting, um, you know, rehab services and, and, you know, physical training exercises to do at home to help prevent that before it happens. That's a great example. And uh, sign me up, right? We all want the, we're volunteering our data for a purpose, so that's the kind of purpose that people can get behind. Right. Right. And you could do other things with um, all sorts of edge computing, edge devices, manufacturing, transportation. I mean, imagine the life cycle of um, a perishable deliverable, right? We, we use um, Home Chef or we use Plated before where they send you a box of food and of just the ingredients you need and then you the, and the directions to, to, to cook them. Imagine sensors on, on – very affordable sensors on these boxes that know temperature, vibration, uh, d- duration at a temperature. You, know, you can have a freshness value and predictor uh, based on those things that would, you know, make a lot of people feel more secure about the, the food they're ordering. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump ahead to one of the next trends that you identified. So if we look at uh, the second one in the paper, it was enhanced cloud capabilities will advance digital transformation. And I think you know, the way I process some of this is that you know, we, everyone is aware it's time to move to the cloud. There's a lot of benefits to doing that. But how do you actually get more value out of doing it other than just being in the cloud? What are some of the cloud benefits that aren't being utilized? Yeah, so really what I kind of focus on on this one isn't that moving to the cloud is good. I think that's mm-hmm. – most people have made that yep. shift in their brain, right? And, and there are cases when, when people shouldn't. I understand that. I'm, I'm talking in the large majority um, – most of the companies we're uh, working with, I, actually, I don't know of one that's not, has some cloud footprint. Uh, so a lot of them work in a hybrid model, and there's so, still some reason to have some things on-prem. Some are completely in the cloud, but it's usually a hybrid model. So people have adopted the cloud, right? So I'm not making that prediction uh, for 2021. I hope not. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, electricity is going to take off. Wow. Right? So you, right, you know these things. But um, what I am saying is that Ten years ago, eight years ago, five years ago, get, coming to the cloud meant some of your best architects, you know, had to roll their sleeves up and develop uh, complex solutions in the cloud um, and take advantage of new architectures. You know, really the same design patterns, but implementing them in new new architectures and new ways. And you know, there's some um, some risk involved in doing that because you're creating a lot of the plumbing and infrastructure type code. We've gotten to a place now where cloud is so mature that there's dozens and dozens and dozens of frameworks that do that for you. So in a lot of cases, you can just do configuration as code. And this means a lot of things, right? If you're doing application rationalization and you're trying to go from 30 different platforms down to three or four, you can look at software as a service like like uh, ServiceNow, 
Salesforce, Workday, um, using force.com from Salesforce to, to put some things on that platform and really have a much smaller, tighter set of architectures that you're deploying applications on that are robust, trusted, super sound architectures in the cloud. Uh, and a lot of that can be conf- uh, configuration-based as opposed to having to develop everything from scratch. Um, a second thing that that really impacts is now you don't have to have your top developers doing that that infrastructure work. They can be solving really difficult business problems, really focusing on the algorithms, on the, on the machine learning models, et cetera. And some of your your... Maybe some of your people on the business side, um, strong business analysts who maybe have some technical background, they can start doing configuration in the cloud and start adding value in that tier, whereas before it, it might have been a little bit too complicated or a little bit too close to the metal uh, for them to be effective in that role. Yeah. Well, let's take an example because I always find that helps. You mm-hmm. know, If we think about healthcare as an industry where they've gone through massive change recently, we all know why. How have you seen that change, or do we predict that change to be manifest in 2021? From a cloud perspective? Yeah. Um, yeah, so for, for, for cloud, for healthcare, for me, uh, I'm not as close to the, uh, the last thing I talked about, which is the, the, the business analysts and such are doing configuration work based in the cloud. But what I can say is that having APIs that are available to collect all the information and have all the endpoints available to all interested third parties and obfuscating the complexity. It's, mm-hmm. v- it's a very, very complex technical environment. Obfuscating that complexity behind a well-structured cloud-based microservices tier uh, allows for that flexibility, adaptability, um, agility, and delivering uh, new services and functionality quickly to your population. So from a, from a uh, a healthcare perspective, I would go to the more traditional benefits of cloud. Right. And doing so in a way that's HIPAA compliant and you meets your regulatory concerns with Correct. any of that kind of data. Correct. That makes sense. All right. Let's jump ahead. Number three. So C-suites will embrace modern delivery. Yeah. So you probably heard me um, get on my soapbox a couple of times if you listen to these podcasts before. A few. Uh, uh, yeah. About, about some of these um, inconsistencies in large organizations as it comes to modern delivery. Uh, everyone has some level of dysfunction uh, in terms of uh, being in, on a modern uh, architecture, uh, both data and application, or modern methodology, or modern DevOps. No one's perfect, I guess is the way to say it, right? So understanding where you are uh, in that maturity curve really helps. The problem that we see often is misalignment. So people have different definitions within an organization across business units of what Agile means or how it should be implemented or how the team should be structured or how enterprise architecture should fit as a guild uh, with cross-cutting concerns. These, And that makes it difficult to predict. Accurately. You're, you're the Agile expert. Right. But, um, so you'll fill in these gaps for me. But it makes it hard to um, predict your velocity Right to 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 accurately estimate story points to basically uh, deliver reliably, right. So one of the things again for, from a COVID perspective was organizations that had this figured out well also had the side benefits of this, which is empowered teams, teams that know how to do estimations, teams that know how to uh, overcome roadblocks uh, independently, and 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 have decision-making power, right? So 
that lesson has now been learned by a lot of other companies who've had to force themselves into uh, modernizing their methodology because of, of so much remote work. And they're starting to see the benefits of that. So that adoption, that growth, and the maturity of methodology, DevOps, and architecture has to continue for these companies or they will lag. Um, yeah. And a lot of that really is, is hard work, right? It really, it's not an easy thing to get people to agree uh, in an organization on how these projects should run and, and, and how the team should be built and, and what, you know, what the different terms and the methodology mean. Yeah, we're a lot further along than we were a few years ago. Like if you look at the state of Agile report from 2020, there's not a lot of people saying that they haven't already adopted some aspects of Agile. 95% of respondents to that survey said, yeah, we're practicing Agile. But then you start to see differentiation. 76% mm-hmm. had DevOps in place if in some form. We're not saying perfection, some form. Right. And only 35% had moved to any form of scaling where you allow your teams to work together on big programs more seamlessly. And the same thing with the Forrester survey of 26% of the Forrester surveyed population of different businesses are, quote, fully transitioned into an agile model. That's a big number, but that still leaves a lot of room for organizations to up their game. So it's not about saying, hey, we're agile, we practice scrum at the team level, but thinking about how my organization can, you know, little a, be more agile, be more flexible, and pick up some of the methodology and frameworks that allow you to chase ROI in a more efficient way. Uh, I think that I agree with your premise that that's going to continue rolling next year. Well, the last 20% is it gets increasingly harder. I don't know if it's logarithmic or square or whatever, but um, it's like when you try to uh, charge a Tesla battery or any battery for that right. matter. The yeah. first 70 to 80% is fast. And then it's like, okay, I was able to charge to 70% in an hour and they get to 100%. It's going to take six more hours, right? So organizations can say, yes, we've, we've implement, we're implementing Agile, we're, we're doing DevOps, we're doing these things. And they're, they're 80% of the way there because they do have teams doing it. They are having some success. But that last 20% of really being a mature uh, shop that's really doing it exceptionally well has huge value. Right, but it's also a huge lift because as you get closer and closer and closer, percentage-wise, uh, it's more subtle and more difficult to, to to close that gap. Oh, right, yeah. The low-hanging fruit is long since eaten up and gone. That's right. And That's you're right. you're looking at entrenched culture, process, mindset changes, and those are just difficult. Change sure. is hard. Yes. So when when leaders embrace this kind of change, I think it makes sense that we'll see an acceleration of the kind of outcomes that we saw in 2020 from a certain population of organizations that really rose to the occasion. Um, you know, they have to empower people. They have to encourage more iterative learning, more experimentations. You talked about failing fast, 100%. You build it, test it, assess it, move on if it's not working. So uh, I think one of the other things you talked about was the minimal lovable project. Like you and I have product, talked about yeah, that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, um, I'm not sure I came up with the with the term, uh, but it's certainly one that we've 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 uh, batted around. Um, you know, minimal viable product has been the term for 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 so long. Um, the reason why I kind of like the word lovable in there is it speaks to the human aspect of it, right? Where we really believe that from a digital transformation perspective, um, engaging honestly, directly, authentically with the user. Uh, is what helps establish brand loyalty, uh, repeat business. Um, so it's not necessarily about 
having 100% of the functionality in the early releases. And you could talk about minimal viable product in that way. Um, but from a minimal lovable product, you want to make sure that even the first things you're putting out um, really are engaging. And now some of that's design, some of that's brand standards, but a lot of it too is this integration of all the technologies we've spoken about, right? So if I am asking a smart speaker a question um, that's running through your services, and then I then pick up my phone to do something with your app, it should already know the problem I'm trying to solve, right? Th- it, that experience should be so seamless across this omni-channel platform. Uh, if I then make a, a, a request on a chatbot, right, it shouldn't ask me what my problem is. It should say, oh, I, hear, I, I see you're working on this issue, right? So that seamless integration of user experience uh, is the lovable aspect of it. Um, there's surprise and delight when you talk about things uh, that you don't expect it to happen like that. Um, but from our research, our independent research, those things, those technical innovation is embraced and loved as it serves a functional purpose, not as, not, not as a standalone item. Right. And that's, I think that's the connection point here of, you know, we want to be iterative in our delivery, but we also want to fund and support products that work and thrive and not mm-hmm. be afraid to prune off what isn't working. Correct. So, awesome. Well, we got one more here. Okay. Number four, rising user expectations will continue to impact customer loyalty. How are we going to captivate our customers moving forward? So there's the obvious, and then, and then you know, there's a little bit of vagueness after that. The obvious thing is, uh, and this, this came out in our, in our brand survey, as, our customer survey mm-hmm. as well, uh, which is the way it was phrased, I disagree with. The, the way it was phrased is that brand, people don't have brand loyalty anymore, that that's dead. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. I think people care about brand every bit as much as they did before. However, I think the, the factors that impact how you value a brand have changed, right? So, so there's a change in expectation from customers that if you don't follow, they're not going to like you the way that they used to. Their, their expectations, what, what they value in a brand has, has shifted under your feet, right? One of the first ones that we've seen, um, not surprising, but interesting, uh, is sort of a, a social mindedness about this. So um, customers care about how a brand or an employer treats their employees. So if you're going into a grocery store, if you're going into a restaurant, if you're going, you know, something from the state government, whatever, and in a time of COVID, the employees don't look like they're in a safe environment, mm-hmm. right? Um, that, or that they're not being treated well, affects brand greatly. And so you wouldn't think that how you treat your employees has a direct and measurable impact on brand loyalty to your customers, but it really, really does. Social awareness is big, and I think our criteria change. It did, and and uh, also things like customer service has often been thought of as uh, human touch points, mm-hmm. right? We learned this uh, pre-COVID. We were working with different um, hotel chains, and I noticed this as a business traveler. Uh, there's there's a point in time when the per, the person helping you uh, check into the hotel was behind the counter, and then at some point in time. It switched to they'll walk around the counter and interact with you directly without that physical barrier, trying to increase customer service. But in fact, it's it's creepy. It kind of breaks a social norm that I'm expecting there to be this this desk between us, right? 
So what's happened with COVID now is a, a real expansion of that. People don't want you uh, – interacting with them face-to-face. They want curbside pickup. They want um, contactless delivery, right? They, they want more voice-based uh, uh, smart speaker services. They don't have to go somewhere and, and, and talk to a physical person. So doing that well while maintaining your corporate, vo- like your company voice, your persona, who you are, still making it fun, still making it an enjoyable experience uh, is really important uh, in brand. And so- right. How do you do these things without it being sterile? How do you do these things uh, while still uh, demonstrating that you kind of get it or, you know, you want your uh, customers to feel part of something? Yeah. And just a quick reference for our listeners of the survey you referred to was captivating consumers during COVID-19. We did a survey and we have a paper out on our paper if anyone's interested. I think there were some good metrics in there of you know, 72% of consumers are now comfortable with new tech. That is a that is a greatly increased number. Um, we're all having to move into this world. But the other things you talked about of you know safety and cleanliness now being part of brand definition. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the way you treat your you know, the social awareness and the treatment of your employees is now part of your brand. But additionally, convenience. Like we've all been trained in this period of our, our buying patterns and the motivators for buying have completely changed. It's not going to go back anytime soon. And often these changes become a lot stickier than you think they might be. Our situations will change, but it's going to stick this way. Yeah, one thing we found in that survey uh, was that consumers are much more willing to try a competitor now than they ever have been. And that kind of does speak to that brand is less important mm-hmm. aspect. So I'll give that some credit there. But if you don't feel safe going somewhere, you will go somewhere else. If, if you don't think that someone has your values today, you'll go somewhere else. And um, that's been a, a huge change. Yeah, I think that's the important distinction. It's not that brand is no longer important because it is. If I'm choosing between a brand I know and a brand I don't know, the brand I know typically wins unless there's one of the other criteria that's out of whack. Mm-hmm. But it's less important than it used to be. Now it's about all these other factors we talked about. It's about the convenience and it's about the experience. How easy can you make this for me as a consumer? See, I argue that that is now still a brand. That those things, because it's shaping your opinion, because it's shaping how you feel about a company, that becomes part of their brand. So it is that's semantics. A good point. It, it, yeah. It's semantics and it's subtle, uh, but that's sort of the, the point I'm trying to make. That brand is every bit 100% as important as it was before. It's just the ground has shifted underneath it and the things that you that influence your brand opinion have changed. That thank you. That that's actually really interesting for me because I don't normally think of those things as brand, but they are. Like right. your logic is is sound. We're all seeing it that the way we define the a company has mm-hmm. a lot to do with our impressions of them, our experience with them and in different ways than we're used to. Right. All right. So let's let's wrap it up and talk about from a conclusion standpoint, you know, we're starting to see that the trends that were in that we're moving forward before, it's not new, it's acceleration and deepening of some of these items, um, the four trends we just talked about. Yeah, if I, if I was going to bring it down to two words, uh, it would be, well, maybe three, uh, accelerating, uh, maturity, and amplification. Mm. And what I mean by amplification is, you know, if you if you have like a small wave in the ocean that comes by, you jump it, and two small waves come by, you jump it. But when those two waves hit at the same time, you go super high, right? And so, or you know, get a couple of them, and you got a massive wave. And so, that's amplitude. Um, 
So when you look at technologies like machine learning and voice and IoT, it's not about those individual individual waves. It's about them hitting at the same time at the same moment for a user and creating that amplified effect of, of, a, of a really positive user experience. Um, from an acceleration and integration and maturity standpoint, it's just that last 20%, maybe it's the last 40% for some people. But it's most people are in the game now. Now it's about getting tight, getting mm-hmm. getting you know, like think about a sports team, right? You got you got all the players on the, on on the field or on the court. Now it's making sure that everyone is 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 crisp. They know their position. They know how to interact with the other players and the coaches, and and, and executing at a high level. You can't just have cloud and uh, a couple uh, software as a service and think you're done. It's those are the players on the field. How do you make sure that, that the players in the field are executing at a high level? Right. You need to execute at a high level, but you also have to race that 20%. Everyone is racing you for that 20% right now. So That's right. Get there first. And I think the other thing I took from the paper uh, that, you know, just get your opinion on to see if I'm reading this right. But all of these things are accelerators. All these things are trends that we're seeing that are going to be differentiators for organizations. But even with more complete data, more truthful data, Genuine innovation is still the only way to continue to thrive and and please your customers. Did I get that right? I would agree, and I would say um, consider innovation in in the broad sense. A lot of times, people think of innovation in a in a small technical mm-hmm. sense of of a new of a technology that's doing something that wasn't done before. And while that is innovative, there's a lot of processes that are also innovative. There are a lot of user experiences that are innovative, or, or the way that you can kind of. Um, connect with and transact with people can also be very innovative. Yeah. Innovative products aren't just limited to tech. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Vinny, for your time today and for walking us through this. We will have in the show notes links to both of the articles we listed, as well as we'll have a link to your paper for 2021 trends. Thanks, Dennis. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. If you haven't had a chance, please go ahead and subscribe, and that way you won't miss any of our future episodes. And we will see you next time. The entire contents and design of this podcast are the property of CapTech or used by CapTech with permission and are protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark laws. Users of this podcast may save and use information contained in it only for personal or other non-commercial educational purposes. No other use of this podcast may be made without CapTech's prior written permission. CapTech makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in it are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in it is done at your own risk. CapTech makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elements or codes that manifest contaminating or destructive properties. CapTech expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, or any other damages arising out of any use of or reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in it.